I always like to stack stereotypes in, in business. So what's a stereotype about these things? And how can we be sometimes the opposite of it, right? Is it snooty? Is it privileged? Is it elitist? Is it like, these are all the things that have been said about golf. Is it white? Is it male? All right, well, either look at that and either we can deny these stuff or we can say, okay, so how do we break through that? Well, we look at who we're hiring and we look at it in a way and say, how do we make the experience different? You're not going to change the course for the most part, or maybe you're going to change where the cup is next week. And it's going to be on placement three. I'm not talking about changes like that. I'm not talking about changing how high you mow the grass or how low it's going to be now. I'm talking about the human experience and mm -hmm. human centric. When you come to my golf course, when you walk into my pro shop, when you walk into the club and grab a bite on the turn, that we're going to be so freaking happy to see you. We're going to be so into you choosing our course over the 19,425 other ones. You're never going to look at another course again. And if you're not from here or you're on a tournament or you're at a conference or you're at a wedding, you're going to say two things. One, how did I not come here before? And two, I need to come back here and play around. Hey everyone, welcome to the Mod Golf Podcast, where we speak with the influencers, disruptors, entrepreneurs, and innovators who are shaping the future of golf. If you're a regular listener, welcome back. If you're new to the Mod Golf Podcast, thanks so much for joining us. And if you enjoy what you hear, please subscribe to the show to learn about upcoming episodes, listen to some previous ones, and enter our latest golf product giveaway. I'm your host, Colin Weston, and I'm super excited for today's guest. And I don't say that very often. Hopefully, you hear my, <laughs> my energy level is already up. And my guest is Scott Stratton. He is the creator of Unmarketing, which is a business platform and framework that's around authenticity, integrity, and community. I'm not going to pitch it too much more than that because I'll probably end up mangling it. I'll leave that to Scott because he's done it many times. In fact, he's been a keynote speaker at over 500 conferences and events. So uh, so yeah, he's, he's he's got his reps in. He's getting pretty good at this. Six-time best-selling co-author also, and apparently behind the scenes, his wife is the one that really fuels the fire and gets uh, gets shit done. So, uh, so I'll let him uh, send a shout-out to her in a minute here. So had the pleasure two weeks ago of meeting Scott in Vancouver, where he was, not surprisingly, the keynote speaker for the NGCOA event, which is the National Golf Course Owners Association across Canada. I know there's the U.S. We have a lot of the U.S. listeners. They got the organization down there. First time in three years they met and Scott gave a powerful, impactful, and humorous account of uh, all things unmarketing. So before I ramble on anymore, hey, Scott, welcome to the Mod Golf Podcast. <laughs> Thanks for joining me today, sir. My absolute pleasure, Colin. Thank you for having me on and thank you for that wonderful intro. Absolutely. Absolutely. So to start off, you're like me. You didn't grow up in golf. You weren't even in the golf. You're not even in the golf industry. I've kind of stumbled into it over the last seven years and now into yeah. the thick of it. And I'm going to love this conversation because some of the most popular, actually not some of, the most popular and most downloaded listened to episodes we have of the Mod Golf Podcast are people that are not in the golf industry. So I'm really looking forward to you right. applying, sprinkling in all the lessons learned and kind of those nuggets into what the golf industry is doing and where they can improve. So uh, let's start with who you are and why you do it. So, so tell us, give us an overview of unmarketing. What's going on there? Yeah, do we have to state our average score on the course like before getting in? Like, do they they need a frame of reference for that? Because mine is not good. But, oh, we're uh, getting into that. My, my, <laughs> I, have, I have my icebreaker question that uh, that revolves around golf. Good. So don't worry, buddy. We're getting into that. So good, yeah, good. Hold, hold on tight for that. Well, unmarketing really is. It, it was my attempt to try to 
not end, but reduce hypocritical marketing at the time that people were marketing the way they hate to be marketed to. It was all this interruptive marketing. This is, I formed it 20 plus years ago and it all came from really out of anything I do. It came out of anger. And it was, I was, I remember back in my corporate days, all of the four years I lasted after college and I was sitting in a friend's office who's in sales. And I was a sales training manager at a company at the time. And, and we were in his office and we were just, just catching up and this phone rang and he answered it. And it was like, a, it was like a pitch, you know, it was a cold call. And he started berating the person on the phone. He's just like, you've got nothing better to do. Blah, 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 blah. Like the fury that they're met at sometimes in, in, a, in a cold call sense. And then he hung up and we kind of both kind of laughed about it. And we're just like, and he's like, okay, Scott, I got to go. I got to go do my calls for the day. And I'm just like, Chris, you just ripped somebody for calling you up, but you're about to go do the same thing. And he's like, yeah, but I have a product they need. <laughs> and so it was this real kind of hypocritical thing. And even back then, even before social media, even before this 2.0 internet that we're at, at this point, what we're doing, or 3.0 at this point, mm-hmm. there's got to be other ways than just this whole push and pray mentality. And that was the term we came up with at the time was this, we'd rather pull and stay instead of push and pray, which was pull people in front of you and stay in front of your your audience, your target market, your community. So when they have a need for your product or service, they choose you unconditionally. And that's really the the foundations of unmarketing. And the coincidentally part about that was that the methodologies in unmarketing were zero to low cost as well, because it was about relationships. And the only thing it took was time. And a lot of people didn't want to hear that. They want right. to, you know, just they want to be snapping necks and cashing checks to get mm. to the Catalina wine mixer. <laughs> you know, okay. And I just found that for me, I've been a, an entrepreneur my whole life and kind of finding those paths and where you go. And anybody as an entrepreneur, as you know, there is no path. It's just like you just next day, just the map turns and hooks right, and you go right and you right. go left, and you just keep going through the world. And I realized, but what was I passionate about? And throughout all six books, throughout all those talks and the couple decades, it was I'm passionate about people, good people. And that the fact that we can find businesses to do business with that we connect with on, on every level. We can find businesses that are good to their people and good to their customers. The, the saddest part and the saddest thing I can say is because when you're great, not, not not great, just good at service, you're looked at as excellent because everybody else sucks. And there's a real opportunity there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I've certainly witnessed that in the golf industry, as I touched on myself not being in the golf industry until yeah. kind of stumbling into it six, seven, eight years ago with our first entrepreneurial endeavors in the, in the sport realm. It just happened to be in golf. And mm-hmm. it really opened up to me that the bar was not only low on innovation, but also on human-centric design and even human-centric marketing, I guess. Is that even a thing? Yeah. I guess, I yeah, guess yeah. it kind yeah. of is or For should sure. be what you, you talk about. And, and I've had an anecdotal story for myself playing golf, not that well over the years and only playing a couple of rounds a year, going to a golf course, that semi-private course, nicer one here in, in Vancouver where I live. I walk into the pro shop to pay and it's empty in there. And the guy, I'm going to call it a middle-aged white guy like me, so I can say it. And this guy doesn't even look up. He's got nothing else to do. And I walk up and I'm standing there right in front of him. Doesn't even look me in the eye and just barks at me. He's like, yeah. So that was my first (laughs) experiential touch point with this guy. And it never got any better from there. It was not even transactional. It was even worse than that. So I walked out of there already going to spend the next five, if not six hours of my day there. I already wanted to leave. It was this incredibly bad experience right out of the gate within the first 30 seconds. And it really didn't get better from there on in. So I'm sure the stories you can tell are, are littered with terrible examples of that. 
the thing is that when it comes to our world of unmarketing, unselling, unbranding, unleadership, all the un stuff, there's a reason we do the un, other than it's a good hook. It makes you think, is it contrarian? Is it opposite? And it's not. What it means is, is that we are always marketing. We are always branding and we are always selling. So when you walk into that clubhouse and you walk into a pro shop and the person doesn't give you the time, it's because of your audience for your show here, but it's any retail, right? You walk in anywhere. If you feel like an interruption to the people working there, for most people, that feels off. That feels weird. If you're at least self-aware, nobody wants to be an interruption. It's when you walk in and somebody is, is sitting there and they're like, yes, can I help you? Like if somebody walks into your pro shop these days, freaking angels should drop out of the ceiling and just, oh, <laughs> right? And like, it's all beautiful because retail struggles and it's always been strong because online came in and pro shops have a nice advantage because you're dealing with, you're playing around, there's a shop right there, you're good to go. But for some of those bigger purchases too, you know, I could be making them there, but I don't trust it. I think they're just people who are working there and they don't care I'm there. Have you ever walked into a Lush store with a soap store at Lush? I, I, I avoid them because the smell just overwhelms me. So yeah, thank you. It's, it's yeah. over so I, Actually, I, I don't go in because I will be rendered unconscious from lack of oxygen. Yeah. <laughs> so I did a, an undercover sting operation here in Mississauga at Square One. You'll know the area. Yeah, just outside of Toronto. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I, I went and I uh, went on a Tuesday at like 1030 in the morning. And I just went into Square One. I'm going to see how many of these stores an employee makes me feel like happy I walked in the store. I don't mean, I don't want overzealous. I don't need them to fawn. I just need to say, hey, you know, welcome. Or hey, how you doing? Just acknowledge my existence. Allison calls it competent disinterest. I really love that. We want a server at a restaurant who is competently disinterested for there, meaning they know their job, they can suggest things, but also let's move this along. Like, you know, right. I mean, we, we don't want them to be lying to us. You know, the retail where you're just like, hey, how does this golf shirt look on me? And if it doesn't, you should probably tell the person. Yeah. So it's that old, the retail lie of, of people. So I went. And I went into 21 stores because you know what retail is at 10, 1030 in the morning on a weekday because I've worked it. We're stocking, we're doing whatever it's going to be. But the last thing you expect is a customer. It's usually just malt walkers you got to avoid out there and not getting hit with a fanny pack or something. And I got ignored by majority. One of the stores I walked into, nobody was there. Like I think just by default, I became an employee. At the time. And it was like all the places I went into, a couple felt like interruptions again. And then I went into Lush, my 22nd store of the day. And I walk in. First of all, yeah, I overdose on lavender. Yes. And the, the woman working there just locks eyes with me. And I'm trying to get around the scent for a moment. And she's like, hey. And I'm like, hey. She's like, first time here? I'm like, how could you tell? I'm not the demographic for Lush, a soap store. And she's like, well, let me give you a tour. Because she has nothing else to do because it's right. the middle of the day. And she walks around. She's like, these are, we sell soap by the pound. Do you take baths? I'm like, I don't even take baths. She's like, these are bath bombs. I walked out with $79 worth of soap, Cole. Nice. $79 worth of soap. And I got home and my wife's like, what's that? I'm like, I don't even know, but I'm going to go take a bath. <laughs> but she walked around like the thing was like the parliamentary gardens. And it was like 18 square feet. And this is what I realized in retail is that that passion plus knowledge equals profit. Mm -hmm. That if you love the sport and you're not a gatekeeper of the sport, which is very important as well, because you never know who's walking into the clubhouse. You never know who's walking into the pro shop. It might be their first round or it might be their thousandth round and you get to know people, but you're an ambassador, not to your golf course, to golf. And we look at the stereotypes. I always like to stack stereotypes in, in business. So what's a stereotype about these things? And how can we be sometimes the opposite of it? 
right? Is it snooty? Is it privileged? Is it elitist? Is it like, these are all the things that have been said about golf. Is it white? Is it male? Is it all these things? All right, well, either look at that and either we can deny these stuff or we can say, okay, so how do we break through that? Well, we look at who we're hiring. We look at, do we hire people because they're the son of this, of the person who's a member or this or this or this or this or whatever that is. And we look at it in a way and say, how do we make the experience different? You're not going to change the course for the most part, or maybe you're going to change where the cup is next week. And it's going to be on placement three. I'm not talking about changes like that. I'm not talking about changing how high you mow the grass or how low it's going to be now. I'm not talking about any of those things. I'm talking about the human experience and Mm -hmm. human centric, right? This is what I'm talking about. When you come to my golf course, when you walk into my pro shop, when you walk into the club and grab a bite on the turn, that we're going to be so freaking happy to see you. We're going to be so into you choosing our course over the 19,425 other ones. You're never going to look at another course again. And if you're not from here, or you're on a tournament, or you're at a conference, or you're at a wedding, you're going to say two things. One, how did I not come here before? And two, I need to come back here and play around. Because you have also all these other things that happen at golf courses too, especially if you have the facilities, if you have meeting facilities or banquet facilities, if you do weddings, if you do graduate, uh, grad parties are always a pain in the ass, but you know what I mean, where you pick one of those things that you're bringing people into this place that has something that any other location for an event doesn't have, which is the golf course on it. And there's ways to work that when they're so impressed by, and it's both ways. I come golfing. I didn't realize you even had facilities here to do these type of things. They have weddings. They have, if it's a country club type of thing or a member, then it's a little bit different. But yes. mostly times, public courses and ones that are open to everybody have an awareness issue as well that can be changed. And I can tell by just looking at reviews. I can go into Yelp and to Google and to wherever I want to check out these reviews because I'm looking at two things, right? How the course played and how the people were and how they were treated. Was the marshal a prick? I get it. Look, I also understand because if it wasn't for people, it would be much easier to run a golf course, right? Because people get get to deal with people. And especially if it's in a sport or an area that's considered elitist, because you know what people Mm -hmm. like that are also like, which is they want what they want and they demand it, whether they pay $27 in green fees or $2,700 in green fees. There's a certain thing and a feeling or a vibe that you get at a place one of the problems in this, I'm sorry for just going on an unhinged All rant good. at this point, but again, I'm in my basement and I just, the cats don't care anymore about my stories. This happens in big corporations too, Colin, that it's not just about golf. I'm going in a few weeks to speak to the South Dakota tourism event. One of the things I talk about in any of these places, it's the same for golf, is you can't change the main benefit. And somebody working in the pro shop, somebody who's like, this is their third year working there. They're not going to just go in and just bring in bulldozers and change the course. Yes. You're not going to do that. Just like if you have in South Dakota, you have the Sioux Falls. Well, you can't change that stuff. What can you change? It's the people Mm -hmm. and the experience. I don't mean fire the people and bring new ones. I mean, they also need to know because this happens in big companies. The bigger the company, the less I think I matter. Not in a cheesy way, not in a we are the world and, and let's hold hands type of way. Although killer song. It's it's a understanding that I have an effect on this golf course. I have an effect on whether people come back or not. And I have effect on how my day goes based on that. The better experience people have, the more they want to come back. The more they want to come back, the more customers we have. The more customers we have, the more people employees we sh- we're supposed to have. It's and all works th- together. Absolutely. 
where do I go next with this? You threw a lot of the wall there. But where I, where I am going to go with this is bringing it all back to us both meeting at the National Golf Course Owners Association Conference where you were speaking. What did you hear, the feedback you had in the short time that you were with us, from the golf course owners and operators that were there? They were articulating their pain points. A lot of them, for the first time, were understanding this whole notion about the experience economy and applying compassion, empathy, integrity to what you're doing. Well, not necessarily integrity, even though it's part of your framework, but they have that in place. But to expand that all the way down through their operations, to their people that starts at the top, the transformation of workplace culture that's intertwined yeah. to all this. So what did you see? What's What surprised you that people already got? And what surprised you also is like, oh my God, you're not doing that? Well, that's interesting. What well, did you hear on the floor there? First was the feedback afterwards, which was, I was surprised by uh, how many of them really enjoyed the part where I was kind of ripping them a new one. Yeah. <laughs> that's the best way I can put it. It's always a dangerous thing to do that where you're you're paid to speak at a conference and you go to the attendees and tell them they're doing stuff wrong. Yeah. Except I've made a long career (laughs) out of that. But now it's about people. And when you talk about like leadership side of stuff, I'm not talking about how that marketing thing made it. It probably should have gone left when you went right. It's you're not treating people the right way. And when people are golf course owner, they own it. Mm Mm-hmm. So pretty much it's what they say goes. Yep. And I try in, in talks now to probably also say that that's not probably the best way to do it. And the messages and the private messages I got from people, especially like through LinkedIn, was that they were just saying, thank you for saying some stuff we needed to hear, mm. which was we're not in the same world anymore and that people are not looking to work for a place that sucks and treats their people bad. And in golf, you got it made meaning outdoors, sun shining for the two and a half weeks a year it does here. You know, you have all this type of stuff where that's built in, but it's seasonal, so that's a pain. But you have this spot, you have this this world that you can change. And what I wanted to remind everybody on that, and I want to remind everybody right now, is that we always remember those people in our lives that made that difference, that made us go towards a direction, help us get whatever that is. It's the people you'd invite to your retirement party. Think of that party. Go down to the end when you're done your career, whenever that is, and who'd you invite? If you're going to give a speech mm-hmm. and all the people that were there, I'd invite some of the people that I hated, sure, just to rub it in their nose. But you got the people that really, those people, and they are always, almost always in a position of influence or power. It's the teacher. It's that boss. And I remember Mr. Berrigan, my grade 11 math teacher, who helped me graduate high school. It's Brenda Chandler, my boss at the movie theater, who made me look at things differently. Mm-hmm. It's Gina, my first boss at a college. It's John, my boss at my second, my only at my other job. I remember that like that. I can't remember what I was doing two hours ago, honestly, but I can remember those people and how they affected me. And I can also remember the people who impeded my life. Now, th- those memories, do you th- believe that's ingrained? I, this is not my area of expertise, at all. But what I understand is with memories, whether they're traumatic ones or joyous ones, we remember them on both ends of the spectrum. Everything else in the middle, day to day, week to week, year to year, all kind of fades into into this amorphous piece of our life. And it's all about the emotional side of what you just mentioned. It's how those people made you feel. When you were talking, I do remember some of the great and humorous things you were saying, but it was how did you make me feel? And that's what left with a positive impression. Yeah. And I I just wanted to put on top of that, 
the best perspective I gave, I think at that event, and the one that will help people listening right now understand what I was trying to say to them was that one slide you put on the screen. And all it says is, you don't know what it's like to work for you. <laughs> That's it. That is not a negative statement, nor is it positive. It's just a statement. Mm -hmm. You don't know what it's like. Nobody does. And the problem is we just assume we do, or we don't even think about it. And that self-awareness is a skill that if you not sure exactly what that term means or something, I suggest going into it and looking at it, understanding that your impact on a room, understanding that if you own a golf course and you walk into your staff room, that they behave and talk differently than when you were not in that room, understanding that we should be just treating each other with mutual respect, not demanding respect because you own the course. It goes both ways too. We are now going to take a short break to tell you about something new from the Mod Golf Podcast. I'm excited to announce the launch of the Mod Golf Pro Shop, where you, as part of our Mod Golf community, receive exclusive discounts on curated golf products that I love and support. We are partnering with DeWiz, Deuce, Kinona, Back to Basics Golf, Project 72 Golf, and Odin Golf to provide a curated selection of golf essentials to help you play better and look great while you're doing it. Use promo code MODGOLF for between 10 and 20% off your purchases to receive the best exclusive pricing that our partners offer. Go to www.modgolfpodcast.com to check out the golf gear that our fabulous brand partners are ready to deliver to your doorstep. That's the Mod Golf Pro Shop at www.modgolfpodcast.com. It goes both ways too. So somebody working somewhere, if I work at a golf course, okay, I'm a groundskeeper. The groundskeeper job is not my job. It's the job I'm doing. Mm -hmm. It's the golf course's job. They own it. I'm the one currently doing it. So you don't want to possess your job too much. Like you can do anything you want. It's your job, right? And you're really, it's ownership of it. And on the flip side, you don't own that person. That groundskeeper is doing a role that you needed to fill at your business. They can let you go at any time, providing you're supposed to follow any kind of employment rules that you have, but they can also leave at any time. For the amount of time we're there, whether that's two months, two years, or 20 years, how do we want that time to go? And do I want to get the most out of my person? And the most does not mean squishing them like it's a juicer and getting every ounce out of them and then just throwing them in the, in the compost. It's about how do I get the best out of them for the time I have them. And we were interviewing the CEO of a place called Big Ass Fans. It's a, I know that you know, great company, them, yeah. right? If you've ever opened a, any large warehouse or factory or something, you probably use one of their fans. Right. They're founded in Kentucky. And we first heard about them because they paid, I think it was like 37% above the state average for minimum, above minimum wage hmm. for minimum wage like jobs. We love these guys. We really do. I actually like have in my drawer right here, like here, I have a bag of, I know everybody's just listening right now, but I have a bag of donkey paper clips from them because nice. the big ass donkey is their mascot. Allison interviewed him for unselling, I believe it was. And I was talking back and forth on DMs to him because I used to be in HR. It's what I went to school for. I taught it at college and we're talking about uh, education programs. So they offer pay for school and to get a degree or a diploma or a master's or whatever it is, but they didn't have any stipulations. Because a lot of times we have stipulations. Like if you get your master's somewhere, degree, a lot of companies are like, if you get a C, we will reimburse 60%. If you get a B, we'll reimburse this much. Or it's, if you take a master's with us, you sign this, you have to work here for five years. So it is trans transactional then in a way. Right. Yeah. And I said, you have none of those things. Why? And he's like, I don't understand. What do you mean? And I'm like, well, if you pay for a degree and then they just leave, 
right after they finish. That's like, you're not getting back on that investment. He's like, what? No. If somebody wants to grow and go somewhere else, one, we're not stopping them. And two, if they leave here after we've paid for their education, now we just have another friend in town that is better educated and looks highly on us. And I'm like, there we go. Yeah. Humans are renewable resources if you allow them to renew. Mm -hmm. And they're adults. I hear it all the time, stories and people and sending us message about this stuff where this is my workplace. This is how this works. This is how, and people say, well, because it's young. You know what? People just don't want to work anymore. No, no. They just don't want to work for you. <laughs> my son. So Unmarketing Junior, literally, that was his title in the first book was dedicated to UnJunior. And that's right. Owen. So he's 21 now. And he got hit one of his first jobs years ago at um, a sub shop in town. Right. And he got a job and he said, before he took the job, he's like, I just need one night I can't work in about six weeks from now is in the summer. It's August this because every year for his birthday, I would get him a pair of concert tickets. Right. Life is about experience and I just want him to experience stuff. He wants to be in the music industry too. And this was a Kendrick concert right after like DNA came out and everything else. It's going to be killer. It's going to be amazing in Toronto. And they're like, yeah, no problem. You get the day off for sure. Well, it approaches and a week before Owen comes to me and says, they won't give me the concert off. And I'm like, what you, and I'm not going to the concert. I give him, I'm not that, I give him a pair. He can go with his friend or right, whatever. He right. take me. Awesome. But he goes with his friend and I'm like, what? And he's like, they won't let me off now. And they just said, well, sorry, it is what it is. And I said, so what are you gonna do? And he's like, what do you think? I, I don't want to. And I'm like, then quit. And then he did. Well, nobody wants to work anymore. No, they don't want to work for liars. Yeah. It's yeah. not okay. It's not okay to expect, quote, professionalism from your employees and then not behave professionally to them. If I sign up for a job at your course and my job is hospitality where I'm going to work the snack shop, that's going to be my job. I'm working snack shop. Maybe I'm running the cart out there a couple times in the day. Whatever. We'll figure it out. But you got me doing maintenance? We need to talk. That's a different job. That we just say, well, hey, you can just do because you have to. That's going to be because on your job description, Scott, job number 22 on the list is all other duties as noted. <laughs> I know that, Colin, because I wrote them. Right. In HR, I wrote these job descriptions. The only thing I had to make sure was on there was the last one. Because no matter what we asked, well, that is under there, under other duties as noted. Mm. No. Well, we need you be a team player. Stop it. Oh, yeah, I'm a team player. Yeah, I'm going to pitch in when we need to. Hell, I will do anything momentarily if it helps that day, that shift, get us out, big tournament happening. What I'm in, I will help. But if that's all I'm doing all the time, I'm not pitching in. That's my job description with no increase in pay. And then I can't do my job well enough. And then the job I was hired for, potentially the job I actually enjoyed doing, I can't do or I can't do well. But we come into places, and then we do interviews, and we sit them across, and we're like, tell us about your biggest weakness, and we watch people squirm. Give me three references. It's no problem. No problem. You give me three references, too, of three people that have worked at this golf course, including one that's left in the past year. I yeah. want to ask them some questions, too. It's an adult relationship. It is a business transaction when somebody works from you, okay? It's under contract law. There is an offer, there's considerations, and there's acceptance. There's a contract, has been done, finished, and by the way, I'm the last one that signs it because I'm going to work for you. Yes, I'm in. There's a transaction here, goods or services, and then you give me compensation. And yet, that's the last people we look at for all of these things, and it's just enough. I did the talk at the gig you're talking about in Vancouver, begging, begging the audience 
not to rip on young people, begging for so many reasons, mostly because you look like a prick. Mm-hmm. And we didn't like it when we were younger, right? And then somebody came up to me afterwards and said, loved your talk. You said so many things that I was thinking and I say too. And I'm like, that's really nice to hear. Thank you. And she says, but I only hire women of my age to work at the golf course because young people today just don't. And I'm like, did you listen to a word I said? <laughs> not a word. Not a word. Because it all fits our own narratives. Mm-hmm. It's not the point. If it's a place that I want to work, if I enjoy working there, I'm your new recruiter. Especially if you hire young people. They just go and get their gaggle of friends and they can all work there. Yep. It's the best recruiters there are. When Red Lobster, when I worked at freaking Red Lobster, and they're like, hey, 50 bucks for every person you find that works here in the last three months. I had that place jumping <laughs> with Scott Stratton Associates. Yeah, yeah. By the end. I made more money on referral fees at that place than I'd ever did hourly at my job. The craziest, weirdest thing that people don't get, how we treat them. We ask them, well, tell me about the gap in your work history. In this economy, in this day and age... <laughs> You want to ask about a gap somewhere? I'm suspicious now if somebody's been somewhere 20 years. And I'm like, what dirt did you have over somebody? No gaps. I don't want to know about gaps. I wish this is how interviews were. I have done hundreds of them. I've taught it. I've done it. I've done hirings. I've done firings. I've done layoffs. I've done reference checks. I was in HR. I've done these things. The funny part about this, by the way, outside of marketing, branding, selling, this is the actually only thing I'm academically qualified to talk about is HR. If I owned a golf course, this is how I would hire. If I got hundreds of resumes, it's just simply I'm grabbing some of them. I'm not going through all. You don't have to. And they're going to come in for lunch. And I'm just going to talk to them. What do you like about golf? Do you golf? Just get to know somebody. Almost everything can be taught. Procedures can't be taught. Passion cannot. And if I'm working retail, that's what I want. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many clubhouses I've walked back into afterwards. I can't tell you how many pro shops I've walked into after golf. And not a freaking one of them. Anybody even said, how was your round? Mm -hmm. It's right there. I'm giving you my cart. If you just asked me how my round was, I could lie to you. And I could tell you how great I am. I used to work in the outdoors industry in my retail experience. So I took a year off in college between my second last and last year to make money to go back. And I worked in retail at Sports Authority in their outdoors department, hunting, fishing, camping. Every day I'm in there. And somebody came in, especially to fishing, because that was my jam. And they came in, they're like, well, I was out on Lake Scugog. What's my next question? How'd it go? And then they're going to lie to me and I'm going to believe it. As long as you buy another lure, you know, whatever you want to do. I just took interest in them. You have this ability here to talk to players, ask, to get some conversations. Also, they'll tell you what they didn't like, what didn't work. It's like real-time feedback too. If you made a change on the sixth hole, a pretty major one, ask them, hey, what do you think about the sixth when we, we changed it and that dog leg now is a little bit tight? What do you think? You're not going to redo the course because their answers, you're just asking for their opinion, their feedback, and they appreciate that. I appreciate that. Not once. Yeah, whether it's the customer, the player, the employee, it's all about empowerment. You're empowering them yeah. and it comes back to all these things that are you're talking about just intertwined between integrity and trust that you're building here. And I just want to come back to one point that rewind the tape here, but you said a few minutes ago, the woman that after the show said loved everything, but I don't do that. Do you believe as humans, 
because we can grow, we can change. Do you think that empathy is something that can be learned and you can evolve or are people stuck as professionals or owners or business people? What do you see across the board? I'm sure it's all across. Yeah. Some, some people yeah. are like, no freaking way you can. But but where do you see? Is, is there hope? Is yeah, there hope I, for I, humanity? If you asked me that question two years ago, I would have said no. But I, I say yes. And the reason I say that is barring a handful of people in society, if you're like a full-blown narcissist or mm -hmm. sociopath or something, well, no. It's one of the traits that makes you that is you have none. You have yeah. no empathy or self-awareness. It's your badge of Outs honor or dishonor. Right. Yeah. But outside of that, I really do. I joke on stage like I did in Vancouver and I, always, I say I hate people. It's one of those things we all bond on. And I, I don't. I, lo I love good people. As I try to get out of this black and white mindset that I have, that has, has also brought me pretty far in what I do, is that bad people have good in them and good people have bad, and we're all kind of on a spectrum. Mm -hmm. We have that power to shift ourselves on that spectrum. Now, good and bad are subjective terms, but I want to know more about how I affect a room. I want to know more on how I affect individuals. It can be a basic thing. Like if somebody is telling you about something, especially when it's tough, like if they're venting or they're kind of offloading or they're complaining or, or they're upset about something. Are you thinking of a situation that you are in or in the past that you've been like that so you can say it too? Or are you listening to them? And I've been really trying that myself and being a professional speaker, a person who's paid to talk. It's not about me talking and it's about, about me listening. Mm -hmm. And it's changed my brain, honestly. When people talk now, when I get to see them at events, in my brain, I lock in, look them in the eye, and I'm just like, I want to hear what they're saying. Well, I think my wife will attest to this, that having the podcast, doing 150 episodes, that my active listening skills are getting better. I think she likes the fact, if one thing she likes about me doing a podcast, because <laughs> it doesn't make that much money, believe me, that's not why I do it. It is about building community. Is the fact it's like, oh, you're talking less and listening more and actively yeah. listening. Not those podcast hosts. Some are very popular. It's like they don't listen at all. They got the list of questions and yeah. someone like yourself will put some juicy nugget out there. And I follow up on that. Instead of doing that, they go, oh, okay, cool. Okay. So next question. And you're like, oh my God. Right. It's like you weren't listening at all. It's like you've got right. a script. I have no script here as you talk. We're, we're just riffing here. And right. this is great. This is deep and it's rich and I thank you for it. But yes, I think if nothing else, my wife likes the fact that I, I listen perhaps just a <laughs> little bit better you. than I used to. <laughs> it's but it's exactly that. In my first memory of realizing that type of stuff, I read, um, this is 25 years ago now, mm. but it was Richard Carlson's Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. Right. Brilliant series. He was calling it corporate one-upping. It was like the stress Olympics. You think you're stressed? Here's my example of what I went through today. You think you're stressed? Well, here's my example. And, and the winner gets a heart attack. That was the whole thing. And it's been a huge thing to, to be able to listen to do that. It's, it's also like with parenting. Allison taught me that, that the kids have a voice and they are all different individuals. And I listen to them. I ask anybody listening right now, if you have direct reports, if it doesn't matter if you run a golf course, but anywhere in the industry or any industry for that matter, was when was the last time you, you allowed, and a key, key emphasis on that word, when was the last time you allowed a subordinate to disagree with you? And when was the last time you allowed them to disagree with you with other people in the room? Mm -hmm. Because that's what you should encourage. The last thing any business is helped with is somebody who agrees with things. I think the only way we, through innovation, is through insubordination. 
And if I'm hiring somebody, like if you're hiring people for grunt work and you got to move this thing to this thing and then move it again and move it again and move it again, okay. But if they came up with a better idea for moving that stone from A to B, I should listen because they're the ones doing it. Your company, whether it's a golf course or a brand or anything else, your culture is driven top down, but felt bottom up. If you run the show, if you own the golf course, you don't know the true culture of that golf course. Mm -hmm. You know how you own it. It's not what the culture is. You will never feel it because you run it. I remember talking to a CEO a month or two ago now here near Toronto, and we were talking about working in the office and, you know, hybrid and return to work and all that type of stuff. And he says, what's your opinion? I'm like, well, it depends. Do you want my honest one or not? He's like, of course. <laughs> I said, do adults work here? And he's like, yeah, <laughs> they're all adults. Yeah. And I said, so as adults, have you asked them where they work best? Well, we put in a survey, isn't it? No, they know where they work best. If you work from home best, stay home, work at home. If you want to work at a co-op work working place or Starbucks, go there. Come to the office, come here. And they're not doing that. Why? Well, Scott, because it's the hallway conversations. You know, you just don't get that on Zoom. The happenstance, the serendipity. And I'm like, you're the CEO. Of course you love the hallway conversations. They're always in your favor. And then I went and talked to another employee. And I said, hey, one of the things I heard was that people love the hallway talks. And he's like, oh, I know who said that to you. <laughs> and he won't stop talking. Every walk by in the hallways, 20 minute conversations or stories that I've heard before. If we have adults, they can all figure out what they do best and what they need to do that best. And your job leading them is to ensure they can do their best. I do not know. I'm going to lose my mind soon, Colin. I was saying this crap at 24. Yeah. And everybody's like, you don't know what you're talking about. You're too young. I'm 47, and the only difference between my opinion then and now is I'm angrier. These are adults. You don't own them. We can talk data right now if you want. I can tell you studies of how much you can actually be more profitable at being good to your employees, but I don't want to because I don't want to justify treating people well because it's profitable. I want to treat them to talk about treating them well because it's the right damn thing to do, mm -hmm. especially now. Everything's just falling apart by the seams. A lot of people aren't hanging on, and some people who are looking like they're hanging on ain't. The least we could do is at the place they spend maybe up to 40 to 60 hours a week at, that we don't treat them horribly. And here I am black and white again, because I know everybody doesn't treat them horribly, but it's just one. It takes one toxic person to poison the whole course. Mm -hmm. And if they have any power, or they're related to somebody with power, game over. Favoritism is both real and it's also perceived. Same as nepotism. And if you're related to somebody where you work, they're going to think it's favoritism, whether it is or not. And by the way, it is. It is. You wouldn't have got the job without it, probably. So that's how your wife hired you. Got, you got your job. For <laughs> exactly. Right? You think well, I have this gig, man? <laughs> Hold on. You talked about before at the beginning of the top of the show about being a hypocrite. I just saw right through you there. The only reason you have, okay, I'm on to you now. I, I, gotta meet, I have to meet Allison. Is Allison right behind? Is she just out of frame right now? What, what's going on over there, Scott? Come on, fess up. I get this job as favoritism and I, I knew it. Job. You're sleeping with the boss over there, aren't you? <laughs> exactly. All right. Fair enough. So hey, I, I want, to, want to ask you this. Well, we are going to jump on a, on a video call too for our Mod Golf yeah. YouTube channel. I do want to get your take there on everything that's going on in the world of the PGA Tour and live. Yeah. And I just want to get your opinion on that. So let's hold off on that. Yeah. But and you've gone real deep here. And I thank you for doing it as you did when I saw you with a keynote. 
Let's kind of bring it up here on a bit of a lighter note. And this mm. is a, a case study, an example, a story, an experience, a journey that you mentioned that was very uplifting, but it showed that this organization, the culture across it, they didn't have to tell you what they do. It just was there with the story you're about to tell us and share with us here. And so there's nothing about fear, nothing about control. That is the enemy. And I've had it in architecture for years is one reason I'm not in the architectural industry. There's 87 <laughs> others why I got out of that. But yes, just having that fear and control and not wanting to speak up. So you shared a story of a young child who lost a stuffy at a hotel. <laughs> Why don't you share that story as we'll, we'll end on a more uplifting note here as we've dug <laughs> deep into the darkness here. Let's let's end with coming out into the light here, Scott. My favorite, my favorite story, my, my man, Joshi. Yeah, so the, the Hearn family stayed at the Ritz-Carlton Resort, Amelia Island in Florida. They flew home to Phoenix, Arizona, where they live, and they realized they had lost their son's favorite thing, which is Joshi, a stuffed giraffe. Mm. And they realized it's probably back at the hotel. Now, if you've stayed at hotels, <laughs> you know, probably if you've lost something, you, you're probably not going to get it back anytime no. soon. I've lost probably 45 phone chargers in these places. So the dad calls them and just begs and pleads and prays they found him. And they did. Somebody working in the laundry saw him and said, this is, he was rolled up in the sheets. Right. And he said, this is important to somebody. And they just, it was a moment in time. And somebody said, this is important and brought it up to loss prevention and said, hey, somebody's probably going to come for this. And loss prevention said, oh, uh, I'm your Huckleberry. And off they went. And they did a photo shoot of Joshi around the resort at the spa. Like he had cucumbers on his eyes at the spa here. <laughs> By the pool, hanging out with other stuffed animals at the bar. Like it was a whole thing. And they sent back the Joshi, overnighted it back to the family at no charge with the photos in an album a letter from the general manager and Joshi thanking him for his extended stay. And it was this whole thing of like this mundane, everyday thing that happens at hotels every day. And that this story broke through and I saw it on a blog post, which was shared on Facebook. And my whole moral of that story was that two things. One, if you want word of mouth, do things worth talking about because the story went crazy viral. And two is that every moment is that opportunity that everybody has at your company because it wasn't the VP of marketing at Ritz-Carlton that did it and it wasn't the president or the CEO or anybody. It was a loss prevention associate and a laundry worker. Your people are your brand. The stories they tell are about things they've done. So act accordingly. Love that. So before that story, when you think of the brand Ritz-Carlton, what one, two, or three words come into mind. And after that story, what words come to mind right. that you believe describe their brand and their culture now? And obviously, that's changed. Because psychologists say that branding is a very simple concept. Right? If we see a logo, we think two things. The most recent experience with the brand we've had or heard and the most extreme experience we've had or heard about the brand. So for the Ritz-Carlton, for me right now, it's the last time I stayed at one, which was the one in Philly. And it's the Joshi story. And so that's what our brains do. We reference stories. So we think anything, same thing for your golf course, same thing for your business, same thing, the most recent and the most extreme. Now, sometimes it's the same thing, but we think stories. We don't think logos. We don't think brochures. We don't think websites. We use those things, but we think of what do I know? Like if you pick a golf course in town, when you tell me, I'd say, if I had a story, I would say it. You know what I mean? Like the Glen Abbey golf course here, it's gorgeous, but also they're trying to sell it. And there was a big town revolt. That's what I know about clamping. That's the brand to me. That's right. You, most of the time isn't in your direct control, but it's in everybody's kind of influence. Interesting. Interesting. So 
It's tying it back into the boss that's going around the hallways having his water cooler <laughs> chats that he thinks are critical to the success and everybody hates and tries to duck into another office to avoid. It's really about what people are saying when you're not in the room, quite literally, or in the in the hallway. So to end up here, the positive example you just gave there with the Ritz-Carlton, how do you believe golf courses can authentically change the narrative, not manufacture. You're all about integrity here and authenticity and building community. So as we uh, finish up here, Scott, what's on your mind there is maybe one or two low-hanging fruit things that they can do to change that narrative to engage their customers in an authentic way. So uh, one of the things, I I, got to go back to the people. I would loosen the reins on your people, meaning... Mm -hmm. I would allow them to show behind the scenes stuff. Authenticity is what's true. That's kind of what it is, right? Just coincidentally, one of the trending things that works really well in content these days and always has is behind the scenes. And if somebody working for your golf course said, hey, can we do a TikTok? And you're just like, I don't do them talk ticks. And you just kind of revolt against it. I don't even know how they make a hole on a green in a golf course. Right. Right, that's a TikTok. Yeah. Do you wash the driving range ball? What happens to the driving range ball? By the way, can I can you actually die if we hit you with a ball when you're driving it across the driving range? And you know we're aiming for it. Is that illegal? Is it like all there? So they just that there's little ideas that people don't know. Your mundane, your monotony is actually curiosity for everybody else, mm-hmm. and just doing things like that. It doesn't have to be TikTok, but it's just one of those things that are really big right now. And if you don't have that either want or ability or knowledge, you probably have some people who do. Let them run with it. Let them do it. Understand their standards, of course, but just put the right people in, in front of it and let it run. There's fascination behind the curtain of any business, let alone golf courses. I'm fascinated by the business of it. I am fascinated by the all the behind the scenes, and I bet a lot of other people are too. We don't want it because it's our own thing or private or is it what, what's proprietary to you? What? How high you cut the... Just open it up and let the people see. You can also highlight your people. And you know what that does? It makes them feel even better that they work for you. As long as it matches their personality. Please don't force people to do... T- <laughs> Please don't <laughs> yeah. force them to do TikToks. Or for- the only people who be forced to do TikToks is really uncoordinated um, executive people because they have to. Because then you force them and everybody enjoys seeing that. that because would, we want to we see them squirm, right? Yeah, exactly. You did not realize that your cart person who's driving around the course also has a following on Instagram of 80,000 people. You don't realize that your line cook actually is a killer dancer too. Mm-hmm. You have all those things in there that you can really play off of if you just get to know those people and then, or ask your customers too, because they'll tell you. And, and the other bonus flip side to that, more of a blue ocean strategy piece of unlocking new customer segments. All of a sudden, if those people are then putting content out there that revolves around authentic stories from your course of what's ever going on, even the most mundane that we find fascinating, guess what? It's a whole new audience that maybe one day through the funnel will now say, that looks kind of cool. Maybe we'll go there rather than going to the bar or going to the movie or whatever that is. And that's those, that long-term stuff. That's abs- branding. That's abs- marketing. Exactly. In an authentic way and sharing your truth. Off the top of my head, I would make content-wise three to five ideas here. Video, just just video. Let's say TikTok. We'll go with TikTok. And I'm okay. not. A, I don't even make TikTok videos. I like watching farm TikTok and stuff like that. Just stuff I don't do. Uh, right, one. Right. What are the rules slash etiquette of of getting a hole in one? Two. How do you make the hole on the green? 
three, what are the legalities of hitting somebody who's driving the car, picking up the balls in the driving range? Like funny or serious. Four, do all the fads and everything else work? And have somebody at the course trying them. Right. And five, a day in the life at the golf course of how to run it. That's five content videos you could make right now that I would watch myself immediately. You can just use your phone. Don't even make it too professional because that's actually the stuff doesn't get watched a lot. Yes. Right? It's, it's that natural stuff. And let the people at your course do it. That's five ideas right now. The majority of people here will not do or ever try. And it's open for you to do go. And the content's right there. The story's waiting to be told, telling that yeah, truth. Yeah, but our, my golfers aren't on TikTok, Scott. And in the same breath, you're like, how do we get younger golfers? Yeah. You go do things that the other courses aren't doing. Yeah, it's interesting. A lot of golf courses and the owners, I don't know if it's out of fear or that's just the way we do things, which of course is a terrible way to approach life and, and business. But uh, yeah, you wonder what they're afraid of sometimes, maybe just a fear of change and, uh, exactly and, kind of tell, and telling the truth. One thing I learned about trying myself to be as authentic as possible, and it comes back to uh, something my dad said when I was a teenager. Of course, you're, you're well, father-son relationships, we know they're complicated. Uh, and at that age, you don't really listen. But one thing that holds true, it was probably a response to when I was probably stealing some of his beer again to take off to some uh, house party or something. And I got caught because I was terrible at being subtle about that. <laughs> and he just said to me, he goes, son, just want to say the truth is easier to remember than a lie. 100%. And I went, 100%. It's like, you know what? I don't listen to what, what you said back then, but that one sticks with me. There much better than the Costanza line. It's not a lie if you believe it. That's, so like, I, I like it yeah, much better, much that's, better. Yeah, that's it's a great true. Line. That's true. So <laughs> hey, let, let's, uh, let's finish up there, Scott, before we go, Hey, why don't you tell our listeners where they can learn more about all the good things you're doing with unmarketing. They can they go, go for it. Tell them where, anywhere and anywhere yeah. they can learn more about what you're doing. I don't have much to push. I'm on unmarketing.com and that's the same name on most platforms and, uh, we're pretty chill, but we go live on LinkedIn and stuff like that once in a while. So come by. Or one of the six books. They're out there. We're all books are sold. So you Keep go it check simple. them out too. Keep it so well. As I always do in the show notes, I will include the link to Unmarketing, as Scott just mentioned there. I'm looking forward to jumping over for our next conversation. So I encourage all of our listeners to <laughs> also become viewers. We'll include the link for our YouTube video down there also. So Scott Stratton. Great to meet you in person a couple of weeks ago. Thanks so Likewise. much for taking the time to to, uh, to hang out with me at the Mod Golf Podcast. <laughs> really enjoyed this conversation. This has been awesome. Thanks so much. I Scott. did too, Colin. Thanks. So that's a wrap for this episode of the Mod Golf Podcast. If you enjoyed this conversation about entrepreneurship in the golf industry, you can find more compelling episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen in. And don't forget to subscribe to the show on our homepage to hear about upcoming episodes and to enter our latest golf product giveaway. I'm your host, Colin Weston. Thanks very much for joining me. Bye for now.